Well, what a wonderful morning it is to be alive and in this great place. Hallelujah. If you have a Bible, could you turn to Genesis chapter 12? We are walking out. Look at that. Nice. Several people said nice when I said Genesis 12. Boom. We are... I love being part of a church where there are so many things being birthed. <laughs> I won't do that again. So many things happening <laughs> that, that we have to do a, se- a series on faith. Amen? Because if you are living a life based on good plans and sight, you're really going to struggle in this church. <laughs> Because we want to be led by God and many other plans of man. But only God's plans are the ones that ultimately come forth. Amen? So we want to familiarize ourselves, not just with the statements about faith. Anyone can do that. Any great theologian can know about faith. We want to feel faith. We want it to be in our souls. We want it to be something that we know what it feels like to actually walk by faith. Thank you, Rachel. And that is deliberate. You see, the Bible, it does. It does appeal to our minds and learning through statements. But so much of the Bible is also about stories, about learning what it would have felt like to actually journey in this life of faith. And so last week we started that and uh, we looked at the famous story in 1 Samuel about a young boy and an old man late one night in a wonderful temple. And they both were learning to hear by faith. But the inevitable next thing that we need to look at after hearing by faith, right, is walking by faith. You see this metaphor again and again throughout the Bible, that to follow God, to be a Christian, you cannot, say cannot, you cannot stand still. So at one level, this message is so simple that a child could understand it. To be a Christian, to follow Yahweh, to follow the God of Israel, the God of Jacob, the God of all of the saints of the Bible, it involves movement. It involves movement. The feel of continuously moving until you gloriously move that final step into glory itself. It is about movement. And, you know, when we look at this absolute classic today, Genesis 12, we're going to look at these absolute heroes, Abraham and Sarai, who without doubt, apart from Jesus, are the great faith heroes of the Bible. They're just everywhere. And we're going to take a little walk today with them And using our imaginations, I believe God wants to help us to, again, familiarize ourselves with what it means to actually walk by faith, to walk by faith. And when you think about walking, even in the natural realm, there's at least two elements to it, right? There's leaving and arriving. There you go, that's the two points today, two-point Tommy. It's about leaving and arriving. Now, doesn't that sound achievable? Amen? Amen. It certainly does, Tom. 
Some of you are breathing a sigh of relief thinking, great, this doesn't sound too challenging today. Well, what I would say is, the more that you consider biblically these two ideas, what does it really mean to walk by faith for Tom Shaw, for you? Well, it involves leaving and arriving. It involves a thousand different types of leaving, of letting go, of embracing change, of leaving the need to be in control, leaving what it is to be powerful, leaving, really leaving, and arriving, having a biblically mature definition and understanding of what it is to arrive, not a shallow, Tom Shaw-shaped, naive, simplistic, immediate, measurable definition of what it is to arrive once we step out, oh no, but to have a mature, Abrahamic, Sarai-esque understanding of what it would have been like to arrive. Today, I want to look at those two ingredients. And my prayer for us really is that for all of us today, we would simply take, by the end of this talk, one more step in our own personal, individual walk of faith. I do believe that there are some of you here today who have never taken that first step. And for you, in a few moments' time, today is going to be the day where you surrender your life to the God who says, come and follow me. For some of you here today, you've done that. You've actually got somewhat stuck. And the Spirit's going to show you that. And He's going to help you with a smile, but with firmness, to keep leaving. I wonder what it is today that the Holy Spirit is going to speak to you about leaving. I wonder where you'll see yourself in this story. And I said this last week, and I really mean it. Can I invite you to use your imaginations by the power of the Spirit? Some of us are familiar with these stories, and so we just kind of brutalize them. We just, we just ignore the nuances. We don't feel the story. I want to invite you to partner with me. And as we look at this beautiful ancient tale, this story of stories, at, simple, at one level simply about an old man and an old woman leaving and arriving, Let's pray, shall we, that the Spirit of God, whether you're moving to Tulare, whether you're staying in Visalia, whether you're about to launch a pack, whether you're about to launch a party, whether you're about to do whatever it is God's calling you to, that you would say, Spirit of God, come now. So Holy Spirit, we ask you, as we look at this beautiful story, would you go to work? Would you go to work? Would we see ourselves in this story? Let conviction and hope Mark your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So, walking by faith, first of all, it involves leaving. A lifetime, listen, a lifetime of leaving. 
Let's read the first part of this beautiful story and with eyes that are particularly looking for this whole theme of leaving. And the scene really is pretty simple. There's three brothers, Abraham, Nahor, and Haran, and one father, Terah. Okay, that's the scene. And where we begin reading, and actually at the end of Genesis 11, we're just going to back up, they're in one place called Ur. One place called Ur. And this story is beautifully visual because they're about to move from Ur. I think we've even got a map that may pop up here. From Ur on the right-hand side, roughly 300 miles or so, up to Haran. And the end goal, as many of you will know, is Canaan, which is on the left-hand side. You'll see it down there in the bottom of the, of the uh, screen. And God deliberately gives us these amazing, epic stories so that we can visualize in our mind's eye not just this, this old couple moving faithfully, walking by faith, but so that we can actually visualize in our own mind's eye where God is speaking to us about for our lives. So here we go, verse 26. Talks about the dad, first of all, Terah. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, the three brothers. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. First brother mentioned there individually, the father of Lot. Now, while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married, not each other, women. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Ishkar. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Remember that. And Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. They set out from that place on the right to go all the way to that place on the left. But when they came to Haran, that's halfway, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died in Haran, that place in the middle. And the Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people and your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Such firepower God is promising. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, the place at the top, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Okay, so scene one. 
is this epic story of what? Say it with me. It begins with L. Leaving. It is this vivid picture of the complexity, the mess, the pain of what it was like to leave for them and what it is like for us to be following Jesus through a life of good leaving a hundred times a year. You see, I don't like leaving by nature. I don't know if you've ever thought about this question. As I meditated on this week, it dawned on me that I am by nature not someone who likes to leave pretty much anything. I love the fact that in this great nation of America, you don't even have to leave your car to get money out of the bank. When I first came, the fact that you don't laugh shows how much you're familiar with it. It's just like, what's so funny about that? When I first came, I was like, what? You're telling me you, you, you don't even have to get out of a car? People don't want to leave their cars? It's too much of an effort to go and do that? I judged. And now I embrace. <laughs> oh, yes. And I go to chase. Oh, thank you, sir. Off I go. I love it. I don't, the older I get, the worse I am at leaving pretty much anything. Now my kids, Daisy and Lily, particularly are of the age where they can do more. It, it fans into flame my gift of not leaving, the sofa. You know, Daisy, could you just check the fridge? Can you just pull open the dishwasher? It's making that bleepy noise because it's done. Can you go to the door? Can you get my phone? Thanks, honey. As I, leave, as I don't leave, as I lounge. I'm a great lounger, not a good lever. I don't like leaving. Anyone here resonate with that? I like, yeah, two of us, we do. We, we like, we, I like staying. I like comfort. I like familiar, I am a creature of routine. I like particular coffee made in a particular way at a particular time of the day. I like silence at particular moments. I like my particular chair. I mean, the blazing heat of this nation exacerbates our non-leavingness. Amen? I don't want to leave my house for three months. I forget how hot it is outside. I'm like, it's actually quite chilly today. No, it's not! It's an inferno! Quick, inside! I am not by nature a lever. I am like Frodo. Amen? Lord of the Rings, ring any bells? Yeah, thank you. Now, I know this nation was built on a on a bedrock of pioneers who love to leave. But that was a long time ago. <laughs> and I have just a little bit of a suspicion that I'm not alone here, that there might be one or two of you who are tracking with me, who are just slightly, in a natural sense, you read this story and go, good for them, sounds great. <laughs> I would have done exactly the same. No, you wouldn't have. Well, you may have done by the power of the Spirit. But you think about this story I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's mind-blowing. This, this old couple, or at least middle-aged, because they lived a lot longer than me and Neva had a long chat about how old they were in real time. But Romans and, and the, the New Testament seems to say, see them as somewhat aged, okay? So they're living in this cool place. Ur, in many ways, was a good place to live. Had a lot going for it. And this awful tragedy happens where Abraham's brother dies. Now, I've never walked through that, but often when grief happens in families, it, it draws you very tightly together. 
It can even mean the idea of leaving is even more like, no, that's never going to happen. Just imagine the impact. Now, it's fascinating that Nahor, that other brother, he never leaves. Do you notice that? When it says God speaks to, to Abraham and speaks to Terah that first time and they start to move, did you notice the first brother never left at all? Isn't that fascinating? He never, I don't know whether it was the pain of seeing his brother die that meant when then God said, okay, I want you now to leave. I wonder if he was like, yeah, no thanks God. I don't really trust you so much anymore. I wonder if any of you have actually never really left, have never really left the life that God wants you to leave because of pain, because of real pain. It might not have been a literal death, but pain has this effect of working against, in a natural sense, often us following God. And listen, just imagine it, what it would have been like to, to leave. Now, some of you have never left. Some of you know what it's like to leave. When we, we were just yesterday talking to Josie's sister and her husband who have left Canterbury after five, six years, maybe ten years, and they've moved to Cambridge. And, and, you know, from one great place to another great place. But they're going through it. The pain of leaving is very real. And this story is meant to help us actually familiarize ourselves when it comes to leaving in the Christian life. It's not easy. Leaving those elements of your life from your old life that are still dear to you. There's a reason in Lord of the Rings that that Gollum guy gets to us because he's my precious. No, don't go after the ring, Gollum. But I want to, but I know I, I, I don't want to, but I kind of want to. And this is the call of all of us. We have sin. The earth has been filled with sin. I was talking to my, my daughters about this. They were, one of them was saying, why do I do this thing? And I was saying, that's sin, my darling. You're seeing sin. This world has a terrible, deadly, universal problem. It's called sin. And everyone has been born into it. And it requires not a tweaking of your life, a radical leaving. Radical for some of you, you do not understand that you are here by the grace of God. You have another day to leave your old life. And if you don't know what I'm saying and you have a neat life, you're in the greatest peril. How many stories of the Bible are the proud Pharisee who's like, I thank God I'm not like those dirty sinners. If you, if you don't see your sin and your need to get away from it, you are ten times more in peril than the desperate person who has reached the end of themselves and knows, I have to leave. I have to get out, even though there's so much pulling me back in. Friends, there's an urgency to this story. And there's an urgency that continues. Don't miss the nuance. Some of that family, unlike Nahor, they do move on. They get to Haran, and there's nothing wrong with Haran, it seems again. In the providence of God, a nice, comfortable place to be. But tragically, and we don't quite know why, they, they stop there. They get comfortable on the great quest to Mordor. Sorry, I've been watching Lord of the Rings recently. It's just really helpful. 
Some of you are like, not going to remember my sermon. It's like, I've got to watch Lord of the Rings again. But seriously, wow. Isn't this true? Don't you feel, find it a haunting reality? Some of you are stuck in Haran. You really are. And the Lord is saying, don't do that. You started well. Who has come and bewitched you? Oh, you started so well. And you're comparing yourselves with others and therefore feeling better about yourself. And actually the Lord and all of heaven is saying, sister, come on. You know it in your heart, some of you right now. Your heart is going because you have settled. You have settled. And God's not angry at you. But like a father or a mother who loves his children and sees them getting into cycles that just are beneath them. You say, come on, darling. That's not who you are. You were made for more than this. So much more. This isn't the feel. The feel of faith and leaving isn't a condemnatory heavy thing. God doesn't need you. Can I say that? He doesn't. You can choose whatever you want. In the kindness of God, though, he says, what foolish way to waste your life. Some of you are stuck in bitterness because of wrong expectations. So many of you. I had this expectation that this would happen in church or in this situation or in this relationship. And I understand it. Man, I get it. But the Lord today, with a forcefulness, is saying, for the love of God, don't get stuck there. Use the pain of that disappointment to look to him who says, I am the only one who can satisfy you. I'm the only one. And I'm preparing heaven for you. And I don't want you to back into heaven with all of your thoughts still going round and round and round about that unfulfilled thing. So many people get into that place. It's so easy. Our old nature is strong. You need a power. You know, that's why as a church, we're so passionate about the Holy Spirit. You can't live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. It's not a theological discussion. It's the power that raised Christ from the dead. You cannot live the life. I remember being with some, some beautiful friends recently who were, in every way, the classic American dream, you know, buckets of money, massive business that had boomed, five houses, and I was just talking to them about their faith, and then suddenly their eyes lit up. They're both in their, I think, their 70s or 80s, and they said, in, the tw- in our 20s, we've got filled with the Holy Spirit, and before that, we just got stuck all the time. We could never move on, and when we got filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, everything changed. Everything changed. We were able then finally to move on following Christ with ever-increasing glory and obedience and joy, even amidst the difficulties. We believe as a church, whether it's here, Tulare, Exeter, Dinuba, wherever God's going to send us, we believe this is no joke. You can't do what they did unless God lives in you. And I don't mean in a small little way that you allow. I mean being baptized, drenched, flooded, overwhelmed with the power that raised Christ from the dead. You just can't do it. Hallelujah. So anyway, <laughs> leaving's important. Leaving's important. Listen, this isn't, this is, unless you know what it's like, it's this strange bittersweet deal, right? It is bittersweet. Leaving that old part of you again and again, that glittering image that we all cling on to. You've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. You've got to give up what it is. What is it for you, my friend, today? 
Where are you in this story? What is it in your life right now? Maybe the Spirit is saying, come on. Come on today. Yeah, you've done well, you've but you've, you've got stuck. Come on, where is it now that I'm leading you into? I was recently uh, with some friends praying for a brother who was sick and, um, and travels there. And he made this wonderful challenge to this guy. And he just said to him, would you hear the voice of God if God said to you, Something, he basically, if God said to you and you didn't have, if he spoke to you and you didn't have to change anything and you didn't have to do anything, would you hear the voice of God if his voice to you was, was saying not to change something or even to do something? Would you still hear his voice? And as he said that over our friend, I just, I, I just, I knew that was for me as well. Because for the last two or three years, what has been my biggest leaving? What is the thing that the Father is telling me to leave? It is leaving the land of seeing Him inaccurately. Of seeing Him as a Father who demands. As seeing Him as a Father who's a perfectionist. Who won't praise me unless it's perfect. A Father who drives. A Father who's unpredictable. And when those words came, I felt again that beautiful moment of like, oh! When, when I think of your voice, God, I always think of you wanting to change me. It's always the conviction of the Spirit to change. Or it's, or it's you speaking for me to do something on your behalf. And the door does do that. But in that moment, I just knew the Father was saying, think about how you are with your daughters. Do you want them to change all the time? Do you want, do you want them to always be doing things? No, you just want most of the time just to be with them. And in that moment where we were praying for someone else, I was getting filled with the Spirit again. I was thinking, thank you, Jesus. You don't, you don't primarily, you don't primarily want me to change. You do want me to change, but all for my good and to be like you, my, my big brother Jesus that you're preparing me to be with. It's not that you need me to change or need me to do anything. You see, that changes everything. But I go back. I go back sometimes so quickly to the place I was of living. I've got to prove myself. I've got to perform. This sermon had better be the best one I've ever done. Or whatever it might be for you. That person better accept me. And then suddenly God comes and says, no, no. Just when you think you're here to serve someone else, I'm here to ambush you and to bless you and to remind you, I've got it, son. And I love you more than you could ever imagine. What, what, where are you being called this morning to leave? I've been called again and again to leave an orphaned mindset I've carried for almost 40 years. A drivenness. I've got to be special. Where are you being called to leave today? This leaving deal needs the power of the Spirit, but it's not, it's not like a, a thing to, you know, that's sort of a bit, it's not a, it's not a discipline primarily it's a delight it's the lord calling come on some of you put yourself in a box of i'm the person who is like this yeah do you remember neva sharing recently i was the neat christian who didn't get too passionate i was in that place and then the lord said no you're not i'm gonna blow on you sister and i'm gonna get you dancing in the streets of visalia 
Wherever you put yourself in a box, oh, I'm the mum who's like this. I'm the dad who's like this. Hey, listen, right now, is it possible the Spirit is saying, come on, you can lead that party, you can lead that pack, you can sing in the Spirit, you can lead that person to Christ, you can give financially even when you think you can't, you can take that job promotion, you can take that job demotion, you can do whatever the specific thing that the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Hallelujah! It's true! You can embrace a life of leaving. Is leaving in your internal emotional repertoire? Or have you come to a place where you're thinking, that's a dis... I remember that. That feeling of like, oh, I've got to say goodbye. It's kind of scary. don't even quite know where I'm going. And that is so familiar. So familiar. But secondarily, we see not just a life of leaving, a life of arriving. Walking by faith is leaving and also arriving. However... If you're anything like me, when I think of arriving, when I think of the, the spiritual metaphor of arriving, maybe I'm just, maybe I'm an optimist, which I am. Maybe it's because I'm an enthusiast. Maybe it's because I've become more American over the last year. But I have these massive expectations, pretty much with everything, of any new thing that I'm stepping into that it will just go so well. I remember vividly Travis asking me if I could wakeboard. Now, I'd never wakeboard in my life. However, being Tom Shaw, I was like, I am looking forward to wakeboarding with you, Travis. <laughs> and Travis was like, ready? Mm, here we go. <laughs> it was so humiliating. The thing just ponged out of my hands straight away, pinged out, you know, the, the handle thing. And he was like, stop mucking around. Come on, do it properly. I'm like, I'm really not. Mucking around, I'm really trying here. And Travis like, Tom, you said you used to snowboard like loads. You've talked about this. You've talked the talk, Tom. And I was like, ha, ha, ha. Give it another go. A little slower this time, Travis, please. <laughs> and my kids were like, Daddy, Daddy, da Daddy, Dad. We're ashamed of you. We don't know this man. Drive on, Travis. That's a picture of my life. <laughs> Anyone here just a little bit like that? When I say arriving, you've left. Yeah, that was tough. But we're going we're gonna to arrive in Teleri. We're going to arrive in these realms that God's giving us. And we have these expectations that arriving, leaving sounds scary, and I've explained that, but arriving, surely arriving <laughs> really is something that we can get joyful about. Let's read what their arriving looked like, shall we? The picture of the scene, this old couple, I wonder, I wonder what their discussions would have been like as they said farewell, not just to Ur, but then to Haran, as Sarai said goodbye to the house that she had nested in for the second time, and Abraham was sorry, love, come on, off we go, in the burning heat, I mean, even hotter than Visalia. Picture this old couple, where are we going? Not sure, my love, but the promises are great. You know, even if, even if Abraham wasn't an enthusiast like me, these promises are just massive, okay? They're not, they're not small. They're, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Pardon? You know, just picture this old... When I think of Abraham, anyone here seen Willy Wonka? Seen the film Willy Wonka? You know, the, the granddad in the bed scene? Okay, anyway, maybe not. Um, 
He's kind of this old, frail man. I kind of think of Abraham like that. It's almost comical. Why is God giving these like rocket-fueled, gargantuous promises at this point in his life? When he was young and ambitious, he probably would have wanted to have a big nation and have a famous name and be blessed. But by this point in his life, he's probably like, great, okay. But I would still imagine that as they set out on this leaving, as they leave and they push through that, and Sarai is, I'm sure, repeatedly asking him, or maybe he's saying to Sarai, what are we doing? And they're both mutually confused. These would have been the things that they would have imagined. I'm sure that he secretly imagined that when they finally arrived in Canaan, when they finally got there, you know, it, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have to be a bad theologian to conclude with the scale of these promises that your entrance into this land is going to be pretty phenomenal. Okay, if God has spoken to you and said, you've got to leave everything, but, but I'm going to make you into a great nation, going to give you an incredible name that's going to be known throughout the world. The entire cosmos is going to be blessed through you. You could legitimately assume that your arriving will be like, oh, here they are, you know, Captain Canaanites, here they are. We've been, <laughs> we've been expecting you. Get the welcome banner ready. We're out of here. Here's the keys to Canaan. It's all yours have it. And you could have imagined him walking in, expecting many children to, to very quickly be produced, shall we say, at that land to be like a showroom, showroom to be like a, a new build house. After all that they've been through, this sweaty, painful, foot-stubbing journey through the desert. Here we go, verse 6. And they arrived there, and Abram traveled through the land, I'm sure, enthusiastic, wide-eyed, ready to receive this amazing fulfillment of the promises of God. And as far as the site of the great tree of Moray at Shechem. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. There was someone sitting in his seat on the plane. Ever had that experience? You've been through the trauma of getting your family through the airport, out of the house, and you get on the plane. It's very sweaty. It's very, I'm talking a lot about sweat today. It's very hot and, and claustrophobic, and to your horror, there is some person with headphones on, with a big book out, maybe they even reclined the chair with a neck brace on, fast asleep in your chair. The Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abraham. It's like he catches him. Just when he might have been thinking, what the heck? There's no room here. I love this. Immediately, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring, I will give the land. You see that? He promises to show him the land, and now he's switched. I'm going to give you the land. Often in our life, we need to make that first step based on a broader promise, a more general promise, a less specific promise, a less promising promise, that we step out and then God says, well done, you left room for faith and now I'm not just going to show you a land. Can you imagine that? They've left everything. Why? Because God wants to show us a land. Great. You know, I'd like to go and visit the Grand Canyon. I wouldn't leave everything to just be shown a bit of land. But he gets there and God says, I will give you this land. And look what he says. And so he built an altar there to the Lord who appeared to him. And from there he went on towards the hill east of Bethel and he pitched his tent. 
with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. And then Abraham set out and continued towards the Negev. So this scene, this scene of arrival is, listen this, externally a massive anticlimax. Okay? Externally, physically, visibly, measurably, it's not gone to plan. There's Canaanites living in the land that God was going to give him to show him. And it's this picture that we, we're meant to sort of almost feel of this elderly couple with vast amounts of possessions. They're not, you know, like travel in light, able to be flexible. You know, they're this sort of huge company, probably a hundred of them. You know, they've really left. They've gone for it. They haven't left bits there. They have in their beautiful heart of faith. They've really brought everything, which is a real mark of faith. They're not leaving anything there. But what it means is every little movement is no small thing. But their arrival is marked more by discomfort. You can almost feel, can't you? The the Canaanites are here. And there's nowhere for us to pitch our tent. We pitch it here, and then it says they that then they have to pitch their tent in another place. And then they, they, they stay there, and then they have to pitch their in other tents. And it's almost like this pinball image. Arriving in the Christian life is rarely what we think it will be. That's the point. Arriving. We, we leave in faith. The promises are great. And we step out, and the marriage is not quite what we imagined it would be. We have kids. We step out, even though we were scared about having kids because our parents, it didn't go so well. We're going to step out and do this. And then having the kids is not what we hoped. We move house. We change job. We take up that position of leadership. We embrace the call of God on our lives. And we expect so often, and I know I'm like this, I expect the, the arriving to be instant and measurable and exactly what God had promised in a visual and measurable way. But do you see what's actually going on? And don't miss this. Externally, it's a bumpy ride. But internally, internally, they really are arriving. You see, in that moment where they were most probably confused, what's going on? This is not what we imagined. Boom, it says the Lord appeared. I love that. When we feel most like in our life, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I love the promise of Scripture that the Lord appears. He is faithful. He knows that if he was just to make it externally and physically exactly like he promised immediately, internally they would not be able to hold the promises. This is what he's doing. He's doing a secret work. He's doing a beautiful work. An internal arriving is happening. And look at what happens. I love it. Abraham builds an altar. You know, he's been a pagan sun worshiper, and and that's what they do. You know, he hasn't been to foundations class. He doesn't know how to pray properly. So he's like, what do I just, God's appeared to me again. There's nothing physically happening that we thought was going to happen. But God's faithful. God's here. God is an ever-present help in times of trouble. There is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. That's what God was teaching him. He was saying, you're going to have to wait another 25 years until that boy is born. But I'm going to go to work on your soul. 
I'm going to really develop your inner world so that when your outer world starts to grow into what I promised, you will be able to carry it and to hold it. Oh, the glory of God. Are you in a place where you are missing the internal arriving that is actually at work in your life? Man, I know I can so easily miss it. I can so easily miss it. To be honest with you, even moving here, we moved about a year ago. After 20 years in Canterbury, 40 years in the UK, with massive promises from God, a 50-page document. Over three years, God had spoken. We were like, boom, here we go. And you have been just unbelievable in terms of your love and your kindness. But the reality is there's been many times where we felt like this, this is an alien land to us. What right side of the road do we drive on again? What's this thing called the DMV? What do you mean I don't have a credit rating? I've been alive 40 years, my friend. Uh, you're starting again. You see, when God's moved us, it's the most natural thing in the world when we think of arriving, to be thinking, oh, that's why. I can see it. And actually, the Lord, the Lord knows exactly the amount of external fruit that you need to see. Just enough. Because they had moved. They had done it. They got there. But it just wasn't the ba 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 that they might have thought. It was a humble thing. Do you get the feel of it? For them, arriving was not the full thing, but it was the real thing. For some of you, as you've stepped into your version of stepping into faith, you're in such danger of misreading the arriving. I bet they felt like maybe they'd failed. I wonder if they thought this is not how we imagined. As we plant into Sacramento, as we step out, as many of you step up, oh friends, let me encourage you, the walk of faith, the arriving in faith is first and foremost an internal beautiful work of God. He, in fact, he doesn't just sometimes do this. I'd be as strong as to say he nearly always does this. Just picture the scene, this old couple, they've given up everything. There's nothing visually, physically, measurably, nothing that is saying, see, I'm going to fulfill it. But in their souls, through the pain, and the difficulty, and the confusion, the Lord is appearing, and I love it. It says, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. He didn't call on the name of the pagan gods he would have worshipped. He didn't call on Sarah's name. He didn't call on Lot's name. He called on the name of the Lord. He went vertical, and that, my friends, we just gloss over. But all of heaven would have been like, yeah! Outwardly, the world sees this old, frail couple. And the Bible says, you are my holy nation. You're a chosen people. You're a people belonging to me. Woo! You see yourself, we see ourselves so often with the eyes of each other. And all of heaven is going, no! He builds a, what others would think is a little pile of rocks. But to God, that's a sweet-smelling, beautiful thing. When you've stepped out and you've done those sacrificial things that other people would never have even seen, all of heaven sees. 
your frail, faulty steps, which you look back and think, was that, was that success? I don't feel like I arrived. The Lord looks down. He doesn't see a frail, old, weak body. He sees overcomers. He sees men and women who are stepping out and doing something that even in this lifetime we may not fully see. And this is the great secret to Christianity. It's aligning ourselves with how God sees us. That's what this is about. It's about this beginning of an exchange from them seeing themselves just as this to those who would one day look to a city, a city beyond the physical. A city beyond the physical. I was uh, recently chatting to a friend of mine who was in the kids' work here. And bearing in mind what I just said, that at times, as we've stepped out as the Shaw family and thought, man, you know, arriving has been moving to a whole different country, like 6,000 miles from home, leaving parents, grieving grandparents. <sighs> you know, externally, have, have we got this right? And then I'll never forget a few weeks ago, a friend of mine who was in kids' work said, hey, I was in the kids' work this, today, and we were looking at doubt, and when we've doubted, and how God has helped us in our seasons of doubt. And your kids hogged the whole morning. Daisy and Lily would not shut up in the best sense about saying how their dad and their mum had felt God call them. And it wasn't easy and it, and it wasn't simple and, it's, and at times it's confusing and really disorientating and humbling and weird. But we believe more than ever in the reality of the God who called our dad and our mum to go with them. And I just wept. I was like, that's arriving. Do you see? My kids over there pro proclaiming their belief in God is worth all of the apparent confusion at times. And what are we doing? And what's this that my natural eyes will look at? God redefines arriving. Some of you are going through times of sickness. And you're actually internally, though, for the first time, learning to go to God at a deeper level. And God's saying, you're arriving. You're arriving! Externally, you're wasting away, and yet you're arriving. Some of you are in difficult marriages. Why? Because you're annoying. <laughs> and you never realized it until you got married. <laughs> and you thought you were going to arrive. You're like, yeah, I'm going to be married. Yeah, it'll be great. She's lucky. And it's not like that. And it's hard. And you are in the land of Canaan. And it's uncomfortable. And you're like, what is going on? And the joy of your father is, look at the gold. Look what's happening. I come near to a broken and contrite spirit. Hallelujah. It reframes everything. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet.